Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's the passage led us. We're studying this morning in our whole overarching theme of the book of Hebrews, which elevates Jesus Christ as preeminent and supreme above everything, everyone on this planet. He is constant. He is good. He is our sovereign. Sovereign means he's our Lord. He has... He's our creator, ruler that we had talked about in Hebrews chapter 1. And again, then again in Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, that for us to be able to look to and trust in and yield to with our lives. And so the question can be then sometimes is why don't we pursue him? Why don't we trust him? Why don't we love him more? And why do we resist him sometimes? And I think it has a, everything to do with our experiences and how we would view uh, authority, how we would view uh, our creator and how we would view Christ and in in what we do in our religion in a sense. And there's a pure and undefiled religion. It's a religion in itself. I think we kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's a pure and undefiled religion and that there's religion isn't bad. Uh, but in this, I think it has a lot to do with our understanding that Jesus is greater. And in this, he's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the greatest of prophets with Moses. He's greater than Joshua who led them into the promised land. He's able to give a greater rest, a greater peace than anything that we can experience on this planet. And the reason he can is because he is our priest and he is our king. And this is what we're going to begin unpacking and studying today. Is our theme today, Hebrews chapter 5, is a better high priest. And in these things, chapters were, were written as far as the breaking them down in chapters were given later. In the in original letter, in the original writings, you don't see verses where it has verse 1 and chapter 1 and chapter 2 and verse 2 and a variety of other things. Those were aided for us to be able to reference things in the Bible where we're talking, we could be able to say, hey, look to this book, look to this chapter, look to this verse, and we can move about quicker. We can have conversation more readily. But in the original writings, it wasn't that way. It was chapter. I mean, it was um, uh, um, paragraphs and sections as we begin to walk through it. And so I'm going to pick up and back up a little bit to chapter 4 and verses 14 through 16. And I'm not going to quit. I'm going to quite make it through the end of chapter 5 because it really flows better to keep those in there. So I, I like to stay with chapters as much as it keeps thoughts consistent. Uh, and not that it's not consistent because it's one letter, but as far as breaking it down to have to teach it where it's digestible. So today we're really going to begin, begin studying chapter 4, 14 through chapter 5, verse 10. That's where we're going to be spending most of our time. So I'm going to reference some out of chapter 4. Uh, and I just want you guys to be prepared of why this is. And so a better high priest, a few things we need to be able to understand. And if Jesus is a high, our great high priest, what did the priest do? And what was, what was the priest's purpose? And ultimately, as we begin to see when the priest was eventually uh, given through the wall, they were going to be mediators. They were going to be uh, a go-between between God and man. And the reason that's the case is after Genesis chapter 3, when man had sinned against God and spurned his love and spurned his guidance and spurned his, his affection and appreciation and his leadership and rule over their lives, that, that relationship was severed. They were kicked out of the garden, and, and then there was an immediate distancing through a spiritual death, if you will. But then there was a, a, a future death that was coming to them. So it was a death both physically, which they were going to die, and we were all are now plagued with death, a physical death. But there's also a spiritual death. They were removed from the presence of God because of their sinfulness and his holiness. And they would absolutely consume and destroy them in his, his, righteous, uh, holiness, his righteousness and his holiness. And so as a result of they had to be removed. And it was by God's grace that that was the case. So they were separated. But then ultimately there was a physical death that was going to, trans, that was going to translate after that. And so as a result of this, God's then pursuit of us was that how did the sinful man who messed this up come between a holy God? And that's where then God constantly through the remainder of the Bible, the story of redemption is, is communicating all throughout the Old Testament of how can man that's sinful be in the presence of a God who's holy so that our sin can be dealt with. And so thus comes the law and thus comes the sacrificial system upon which each of those, the sacrificial system was never intended to be able to completely expiate, remove sin completely. 
So we're going to roll it over from year to year to year. And so that's why every year at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, that the high priest, which is different than the other priest, the high priest, could, after making atonement, after making sacrifice for his own personal sins, would then enter into where the mercy seat was, uh, the, behind the, whole, the veil, the Holy of Holies, once a year could enter into that with great fear and trepidation, might I add, and he would come before the very presence of God here on earth. And we would make sacrifice for the sins of the people. And as we're going to continue to see, that was done year after year after year after year. Meanwhile, that's the high priest. There were a variety of other priests that had a rotation throughout the, the, the service in, in, in the Levitical covenant. That they would then begin to make sure that they were uh, uh, making uh, sacrifices and t- receiving offerings on behalf of people for other sins. Not just one once a year, but all throughout the year. And so it was very messy system it's a very ugly system how the constant reminder is what death why because you had to keep killing lambs and bulls and goats and a variety of other sacrifices based upon your wealth and and a brother other means and so as a result of this it was constantly reminding us that you're sinful but your sin really wasn't dealt with and yet, to some degree, we, we sense that and we see that here because we, even as believers, indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit, we say we still struggle with sin even on this. But yes, it's com- absolutely different as we're going to see in this particular passage here. But I want us to be able to see and understand what does the priest do? And if we can understand what the priest was supposed to do and what their role was, and all, all of a sudden now, to say we have a better priest and even a better high priest, all of a sudden now we can begin to appreciate this. And so that's why, as you see, even throughout the Bible, there's com- communication and conversation about sin. But this culture knew it. This culture knew they were sinners. As you go to other cultures, Acts 17, for example, when Paul goes to Areopagus there at Mars Hill in Athens, and he begins to preach, and he has to start from the foundations, creation, because they didn't have an understanding of the Bible, or at least the Old Testament at the time. They didn't understand the law and their sinfulness against God. But the Hebrew people had no questions about it. They were sinners. And for us, it's important for us to be able to realize this because where we love to hear messages of God's grace, we too have to be mindful, though, that it first starts with the messages of God's hatred towards sin. And and as a pastor, it's not popular. In the community, it's not a very popular thing to be the pastor that preaches God's wrath and God's justice and God's mercy. It'd be much easier to just preach God loves everybody. He's your homeboy and he's, he's your lover and he's, and, you know, sloppy wet kisses and all this other stuff that's just our terminology out today. And we sing songs about God and we, we sing a variety of things that it's really man-centered and not God-centered. But we have to begin first that we will never understand God's mercy and his grace and his love until we first understand God's justice and his holiness and his wrath towards sin. But when we come to that understanding, there's heart of repent, a repentant heart, a heart of contrition, and brokenness, all of a sudden then God's mercy and grace becomes elevated. And he actually becomes more loving and more kind and more merciful and more majestic and more holy. And we're, we're blown away at his goodness and his long suffering and his patience and his steadfastness. And this is the issue. This is the challenge here. So even though we're not going to spend a lot of time, and this is going to be a, for those of you that love more of an encouraging message, this is it. Glad you're here. This is the message you want. All right? This is where we're at. But I wanted to at least point out to you that, that in this, the priest's role was really dirty and it was really dark. And so what Jesus had to do to enter in to this covenant, to be all that God appointed him to be, and this is because of God's goodness and God's holiness and, yes, God's love and pursuit of us sinners. And it's beautiful. And so, high priest, why is Jesus such a great high priest? We go back to chapter Verse 14, it says, since then, we all read it earlier, since then we have a great high priest. All right, so what what is it? A priest? Be able to make sacrifices for the people, be a mediator on behalf of the people to some degree and level as they were, their sacrifices and their gifts and their offerings were being received so they could put put in a right standing before God by faith even still, because that's a system that God had established, but still by faith, but this is the means by which they demonstrated their faith tangibly. They demonstrated their belief and their behavior. Was this is what God said, this is what we do, and so it's still by faith, but it's still by faith through God's means about which this would take place, and that was through the sacrificial system. And so a priest could be able to make sacrifice on behalf of the people. That's the, a priest. A high priest would be the one that would enter in, would be one individual who would enter the Holy of Holies once a year, or the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and make sacrifice on behalf of all the people. 
So you see here, Jesus isn't just a priest and isn't simply a high priest. It says, since then we have a great high priest. Let's, let's bring distinction that Jesus is the best, not even just a better, even though he is, he is the best high priest. We're going to unpack the remainder of this book up to, from chapter 5 here all the way to chapter 9 and 10. And then eventually we move to the faith passage or faith chapter in chapter 11. But the next four or five chapters is going to be unpacking this priesthood and this unpacking the sacrificial system, unpacking the sanctuary and unpacking all that would go into these covenant, this covenant and now moving into this new covenant with trusting in Jesus. And so let's unpack then in your notes here, who is this great high priest? This Jesus, our great high priest. Who is he? Number one, he is God with us. You see there in the, in the passage, we look at verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. We know this because Jesus, Son of God, in the very beginning when Jesus came to earth, he overshadowed, Mary was overshadowed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and, was, and Jesus was conceived, was placed into her womb. As a result of that um, immaculate conception, that miracle of birth there, ultimately what had taken place, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, that ultimately this was Jesus, and we're going to talk about his name in just a moment, but he was Emmanuel, God with us. So the Son of God is that he is our great high priest. Why? First and foremost, it's God actually becoming man, fully man, fully God, coming to earth so that he could be our great high priest. He's God with us. Number two, he's a God who saves us. Back up there to Jesus, the Son of Man. So the Son of Man, or the Son of God, spoke there about he was God with us. So the Son with us. Jesus, his name basically means the one who saves. And so in the very beginning, Jesus, our Savior, Yeshua, right? So ultimately, it's the same pronunciation of Joshua, the Old Testament, the one who was going to save the people and who's going to lead the people, the one who saves. And so this imagery here that we're walking through is that Jesus is the one who's going to save us from our sins. It's exactly what Matthew chapter 1 spoke of. God with us. And Matthew's rendition speaks of Jesus' lineage there, is walking us through the opportunity and realization there that Jesus has the ability to save that he is God with us and he's the God who saves us. And how does he do that? Well, in order to save us, he had to be with us. And in order to be with us, his role was a mediator. So he had to be with us in order to save us. That was the role of the priest was to make, to expiate sin on behalf of the people, to be able to try to remove sin. And as a result, they realized because they were sinful themselves and they had to make sacrifices for themselves before they could go into the Holy Holy, that would be the high priest. That ultimately, as this, we walk through this, there was a, a great fear, number one, on their behalf. Tradition says they would tie a, a rope around their ankle and they had bells on their, on their robe. And so that their work was being done in there. If they begin to hear the bells weren't ringing, it wasn't a good sign. Because once again, there wasn't joy necessarily before the priest. There was fear. An animal had to be killed. Blood had to be shed. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so death was on his hands, in his mind. Fear, stories of Nadab and Abihu from the Old Testament, the sons of Aaron that came in and gave strange fire. God consumed them. was before these priests. I want to get in and get it over with and get out. Not this friendship like Moses had. That's the prophet. Hears from God and goes to speak. This is one who's dealing with sin. There's this fear. For his priest to be able to bring this. And so it had to be this mediator that could go in and go before the Lord on behalf of the people. And so in order to save us, he had to be with us in the flesh. And in order to do this, who is he? Who is the great priest? He prepares a way to God for us. He prepares a way for us. And this is where in this passage it says that he's our great high priest. And as you begin to unpack what is the role of what he does. And we'll just read through it real briefly in verses 1 through 4, chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So he's going to communicate some things that man's sinfulness, man's brokenness before God, man's contrition before God and desiring that God would forgive. He would pass over their sins for another year until that sacrifice was was due. And so ultimately it was appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Why? Because the issue here is man is sinful. And he says, so 
He, this guy can deal gently, this high priest, not speaking of Jesus at this point, but just a normal man, high priest, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Meaning, as he continues on, because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And so what he's communicating here is that, once again, as we said before, he's a man who's sinful, has to have his own sins to, um, removed or at least um, covered so that then he could enter to act on behalf of the people. And so this is the role that he was going to prepare the way for sinful man to, to know and to interact with God. And it's the same way here. Jesus, our great high priest, prepared a way for, uh, to, for us to know God, prepared a way to God uh, prepares a way to God for us. And then as a result, he will save us. And all because he was God with us. God intervened and stepped in because what man could not accomplish, God did. And so that's what, who he is, our great high priest. So what does he do? What he does? Number one, first of all, he couldn't do what he did without being appointed. So he's appointed as a high priest. You saw it uh, there in verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed. So who's he appointed by? We'll go down to verse 4. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when God call, when, when called by God, just as Aaron was. And so this wasn't something they just assume. Hey, I think today I'm going to be a priest. No. Even then you had to be of the, the tribe of Levi, Levi of uh, descendant of Aaron. And so ultimately this was something that was going to be appointed. And so we see here that just like those were appointed, Jesus was appointed, verse 5. So also Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So it was not Jesus is waiting on third string and is like, Man, if one day I could be a high priest, that would be awesome. Right? Remember, go back. He's not a servant in the house like Moses or Aaron. He's the son over the house. He's the creator, ruler of the house. He makes the house. He made the house. He made the world. He's our ruler. He's our creator. He's our sustainer. And so in this picture here, it wasn't like he needed it. It was appointed, though, in his humility before God, that he would be appointed to be this mediator, to be this high priest. And so it wasn't like he was longing necessarily to be able to do that. His longing was simply the glory of his Father. And so he was appointed when he came to earth, took on flesh, and he said, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. A direct quotation of Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. And he says also in another place, I love that, Psalm chapter 110, verse 4, Psalm 110, verse 4, says, in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. After the order of Melchizedek. And you're like, who in the world is Melchizedek? Uh, you have to go back to the, uh, the book of Genesis where you begin to see Abraham's relation to Melchizedek. Hold your place there. We're not going to spend a lot of time. I don't want to spend a lot of time unpacking this, but I do want to at least give you some understanding because it's going to bear implication on this text. But then if, you're going to see it unpack a lot after chapter 7. Okay, so chapter 7. Look at verses 1 through 3. We're just going to pull this out really, really briefly for you to be able to see who is this Melchizedek. So what he's trying to communicate is Jesus is better than Aaron as a high priest. And he's better than the lineage of all the high priests that have, that have followed Aaron. Then how is this possible? Well, Number one, you've got to be able to realize that ultimately Aaron's, uh, that, that priesthood came to an end. Did it not? Why? Because today they're not offering sacrifices for sins. The temple had been destroyed A.D. 70 by Rome. And as a result of that, there went the sacrificial system. And so as a result of this, that's gone away. And so to be able to say that priesthood was going to last forever would have been wrong. But here we're going to see that the, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's a uh, messianic psalm out of Psalm 110 verse 4. And then it's referencing what's taking place here in an explanation given in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 7 verses 1 through 3. Here we go. Hebrews 7 verse 1. For this Melchizedek... King of Salem, and Salem means peace. We're going to see it spelled out here in the text in verse uh, 2. But also, get in your mind ahead of time, um, Abraham, who is going to be spoke, speaking here in just a moment, is, is meeting this guy, is interacting with this guy, is going to even give up a tithe to this, this guy, this king of Salem. And Salem means peace, and it's located in Jerusalem, which is what Jerusalem means, city of peace. And so for this Melchizedek, King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth, of, tenth part of everything. And here you see giving of the tithes and offerings well before the, the Mosaic law to be able to do so. 
Right? The law hasn't been given to be able for them to tithe. And yet you see him given a tenth of the blessings of the proceeds of this um, bounty that had come as a result of the slaughter to take place with the kings and when he was blessed. And so he apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is, this king of Melchizedek, first by translation of his name. So what does Melchizedek mean? Um, king of righteousness is what his name translates. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And then he is also a king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. And so communicate Jesus' high priestly reign and above and beyond everything else that we've already studied at this point, is be able to communicate where Aaron's, the tribe of Levi, would end in their, their, their sacrificial system and it would come to an end with the destruction of the temple. Jesus' lineage and his reign and his rule as the great high priest will never come to an end because, as you'll study coming up, he made a sacrifice once and for all. For all sins, eternity past, all sins, eternity future. So, he's our great high priest. He can be seated at the right hand, the throne of majesty on high. Why? Because his work is finished. This is beautiful for us. And so, he was appointed as a high priest in the priesthood of Melchizedek. So it wasn't something he strived, but he was of that appointment. And so he was appointed as a high priest. And what was his priesthood? To be a king of righteousness and also a, a king of peace through his being a priest, also at the same time making payment for sin. Why? Because he prepares a way for us as a priest. He saves us and he is with us. And so that's what he does. He was appointed. Number two, he served as a high priest. So we walk through some of the things that the priest does, Right? In, the, in verses 1 through 4, we begin to see that they were appointed by God. They offered gifts and sacrifices. They were able to sympathize with the people. Uh, they would, would, would work on the, the atonement that could be made. They would make atonement on behalf of the people. And they would pass through the veil into the Holy of Holies. Where now you're going to see Jesus being lifted up and what he does even higher than that. So let's walk through them. So he served as a high priest. What does he do? Verse 7. He offered prayers and supplications. So he would intercede on behalf of the people. He'd go before God on behalf of the people. Just as the priest would and the, even the prophet would. He'd be going to speak to, the, to God on behalf of the people and pray and intercede for the people. He'd make, the priest would then make sacrifices. So your prophet's talking and praying before God. You've got the same thing with priests. Then they would make sacrifices on behalf of the people before God. And so you see in verse 7, he offered prayers and supplications. In the days of his flesh, meaning the days that he was here on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him, God the Father, who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. When did you see these tears? When did we see these supplications that was made on behalf of him with loud cries? There it is. Garden of Gethsemane, where says he... He sweat drops of blood. That's what the scripture teaches. Heart broken. The wrath that was going to be poured out on him. And listen, in his flesh, probably to some degree, in his flesh, to some degree, he was worried about the physical pain. But even more so, what he cried from the cross was that pain, primarily. One of the seven cries on the cross was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's wrath poured out against sin. So he's loud supplications, cries, made in the garden against him, and he made from the very cross itself, the means by which God with us could save us, and God uh, in, in Christ Jesus preparing a way for sinful man, to be not only the mediator to mediate this covenant, to be able to offer a sacrifice, the one and only sacrifice, and not only be the priest, but also be the sacrificial lamb. You see, unpack it. He is all. He is all-inclusive. He is everything, which is why Jesus needs to be greater, why Jesus needs to be preeminent, why Jesus needs to be lifted up. Our sermon shouldn't be about us and making us feel better for the detriment of bringing low Jesus' name. We should align ourselves with John the Baptist. May we decrease so that Christ may increase. And if we see that balance, it's good when that happens because he's the one who's faithful. He's the one who's constant. He's the one who's good. He's the one who will never forsake us. And so he offered prayers and supplications. Number two, he experienced the cost of obedience through suffering. Experienced 
the cost of obedience through suffering. You see there in verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Though he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Remember, he's the son of God. He's without sin. As we're walking through these passages, what it even said, go back to chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so where the high priest, the human high priest, that wasn't the son of man, the son of God, he, he could sympathize because why? He was broken and busted just like your pastor. Sin this week. Struggles this week. Asking, begging God for forgiveness this week, this morning. Yet Jesus, in one sense, when he couldn't sympathize. He couldn't understand. And this is why it was important for him. It says here, what did he learn? He didn't lose his omniscience, the ability to know everything. That's what it's saying. Is don't let some false doctrine, some false teachings be able to tell you. False, these cults are out there trying to pervert the Bible and make it say stuff that it doesn't say. He was without sin. He didn't lose anything. He, he emptied himself in the midst that he didn't show us all of his glory and all of his majesty when he clothed himself with humility. But he didn't cease being God, otherwise he would have, he would have sinned. So we don't, we don't, that's not what it's saying here. He didn't lose his, all his omniscience, but it said that he learned obedience through what he suffered, meaning he learned suffering when he could actually be, to some degree in his humanity, tempted. Because here's what the Bible says in the book of James. God neither tempts us nor is tempted. So Jesus in his godhood and his deity couldn't be tempted, but Jesus in his humanity could. That hypostatic union where fully man, fully God. I can't explain it, hardly understand it, like the Trinity. I wrestle with it, struggle with it. But here's the reality is he was learning obedience and the cost of obedience through his suffering. Did he know it? Did he understand it? Yes. But he also in his humanity, he wrestled with it and struggled with it. Why? God, if this cup could be, could be removed from me, could pass by me, let it be. But if not, not my will, your will be accomplished. Why is that important for us? Why do we need to know this? We're going to pack it really majorly here in just a second. I'm trying to go to the very end. How should we respond? It's going to be so beautiful when we see it. Just to give you a precursor. That when you and I are suffering, we know we have a high priest who understands us. Loud cries, tears. He Cries out on our behalf. Cries out even even on his behalf. To be able to save him from death. And he was answered. Why? Because of his purity. Because of his holiness. Because of his obedience. Because he was and is without sin. That's why we can look to him and we can trust him. Why we should pursue him. And so he, as a high priest, experienced the cost of obedience through suffering. In a much different way than the high priest that came before him. He was without sin. But yet he experienced, he learned what we suffer here on earth. This earth, Romans 8 says, that groans. This creation that groans in sin. Served as a high priest. He offered prayers and supplications, verse 7. He experienced the cost of obedience through suffering, verse 8. And he completed the work of atonement, verse 9. Verse 9 says, and being made perfect, he became the source of, of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, which, once again, going back to verse 6, is a priest that is forever. Because, you know, as they walk through the time of Aaron moving forward, priest after 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 priest had to make atonement for sin. Year after year, Yom Kippur after Yom Kippur after Yom Kippur after Yom Kippur. Again and again and again and again and again. And then Jesus steps in. And he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. The place of power and preeminence. The right hand of God the Father. Why? Why could he sit? The priest could never sit in the temple. Always had to be moving. Always had to be working. Always had to be acting. Why? Sin could never be dealt with finally. Could never be, atonement could never be completed once and for all. And it insteps Jesus. And it says, and being made perfect. He, listen, he's not like us. He was born perfect. He grew perfect. He died perfect. He rose again perfect. He ascended on high 
Perfect. He's seated by the right hand of the majesty on high. Perfect. He will come back again one day, split the eastern sea, will arrive on the Mount of Olives. Perfect. So, so what is he perfecting here? John chapter 17, I think verse 40. He says in the high priestly prayer that he completed the work that God had given him. He had taught the disciples all that they needed to know. What was that work that he completed? Reproduction. Discipleship. That's what he did. John chapter John 17, verse 4. Turn to John chapter 19. You don't have to turn there, but in your mind. John, John chapter 19, verse 30. From the cross, he cried out this saying, to tell us die. What does that mean? It is finished. Same word, John chapter 17, verse 4. He completed the work. Same work. It is completed. Finished. It is completed. Paid in full. A variety of translations. What did he complete there? John chapter 17, verse 4. Reproduction. He had taught the disciples all he needed. Watch why he's praying for them. That they would have the peace and be one. As he is one with God the Father. They would be one. And even those who would hear the word through them would be one with them. And through him, through them, by Jesus Christ, to God the Father. That they would all be one. Which speaks to us. Reproduction. Discipleship. That's why I want you to fill out your notes and have them on. That's why you could grow. You could learn. And what you receive, you could reproduce in others. Why? Because we want others to hear. We want others to know this message. And so, John chapter 17, verse 4, that work that was done is reproduction. John chapter 19, verse 30, when he cried out from the cross to tell us die, it was the work of reconciliation. And we've been made right with God because he, at that moment, paid for all sins as the great high priest and the sacrificial lamb, both in one. So he completed the work of atonement. And then verse 14, back in chapter 4, he served as a high priest. He offered prayers and supplications. He experienced the cost of obedience through suffering. He completed the work of atonement. And going back to chapter 4, verse 13, he passed through the heavens. See, we don't know that culture very much. We don't understand that culture very much. But you're going to see, as it unpacks here, you're going to see that there's a better covenant, there's a better sanctuary, and there's a better sacrifice. And we're going to walk through these as we go through this chapter. It's tying the Mosaic covenant to Jesus Christ. And Jesus is superior and supreme and preeminent above all of it. That terminology would be picked up pretty quickly because while the high priest would have to pass through the veil, thick, heavy curtain that was very specific in its design, with clothes, with hide, the very presence of God, the Shekinah glory, Shekinah cloud. And it would, you, pa- you pass through and you begin to see the very presence of God. And these priests would go and they would enter in this physical tent made with human hands. And you can see coming up, Jesus entered in not through a physical tent, passed through this veil, but he passed through the heavens to where heaven itself, the throne room of God, the very presence of God in all of His glory and all of His deity were multitudes and tens upon ten thousands of angels are all crying out at this moment, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're singing His praise. Cherubim hide themselves and close themselves with their wings because they can't stand the very presence of the glory of God. This is what heaven's like. Not a little boy crawling up in a lap somebody so they can sell books. The very presence of God, where God's holiness is described. You want to to see what heaven's like? You don't have to read books by little boys who eventually come back later on and said their dad manipulated them to write it. You can go to the Bible and see Ezekiel and Daniel, and you can see Isaiah, and you can see uh, John the Baptist, or uh, John the Beloved. You can see a variety of others. When they begin to see a glimpse of heaven, Jesus wasn't my homeboy. Every time you see heaven, it speaks of the glory of God. And everyone, everyone in the Bible, everyone, Isaiah, Ezekiel, John, everyone who sees a glimpse of heaven falls on their face and cries out, oh, am I a sinner? Be careful reading books. Sounds good. And, and everybody, you can say, well, how did this boy know some of these things? I don't know why I'm getting on tirade about that book, but here's just a reference. Angels, clothe, demons clothe themselves with angels of light. They've existed long before we have. They know. They are necromancers. Those who can call up demonic forces from the dead and can say and share stuff that they know because why? The Bible says angels learn. They learn from us. What do they learn? Primarily and preeminently, they learn about the grace of God and why God would ever redeem sinners. First and foremost. 
They have knowledge. The sons of Sceva, the book of Acts, Jewish sons thought they were going to try to cast out demons in Jesus' name. The demon says, uh, Jesus I know. Paul I know. What's your name? What's your name? They know. They know things. They're, they're, they're witnesses. And in the demonic ways, and the demonic forces, they can also speak things and, these, and can be communicated with. If it wasn't just a fabricated lie to sell books. There you go. Off my soapbox. But pass to the heavens in a means by which he could come to earth. He passed through the heavens first to come to earth and then he passed back to the heavens to go back to where all the imagery that we see in the tabernacle, all the processes as we're seeing in chapter 9 and 10 were just patterns of what was taking place in a much broader, grander scale which took place in heaven. Where God in his fullness of his glory was revealed. And so that's what he does now. Unpack this. How should we respond? If he's our great high priest, how should we respond? And this is going to make chapter 4. It's where we're going to spend all of our time. Going back to chapter 4, verse 14, 15, 16, three verses. And it's going to, I hope, I pray to God, God, help me, give me wisdom to be able to communicate this clearly. Would you illuminate their hearts and minds so they could be able to receive and they could worship and exalt over your word in just a moment. God, grant us an understanding because this, this is so important. It's hard as the Bible can be on our sin. You need to see this, Okay. So how should we respond knowing that we have a great high priest who's God with us, who God saves us, who prayers away for us? How can we do this? Who is appointed by God and serves God, who offers prayers and supplications, experience to call obedience through suffering, completed the work of atonement, passed through the heavens. So what? So what? How should we respond? Number one, we should trust him. We should trust him. We should trust him. So it says in verse 14, let us then, or since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He didn't just pass through the veil. He passed through the heavens. Jesus, the one who saves us, son of God, God with us, our high priest who makes a way for us to get to God, passed through the heavens. He says, let us hold fast our confession. What's the confession? It simply means to agree. We agree Jesus is the son of God. We agree Jesus is our savior. We agree Jesus is Lord. Just stay there. Live there. Why are we going to need to live there? You're going to see it unpack here in a minute because while we're weak, we still wrestle with sin. It's still a broken world. We still got issues. We sin against people. People sin against us. And it's hard. So let's hold there. Let's just stay the line. Stay the course. Trust Jesus. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Why? Of all that we've studied, trust him. Trust him. He's completed a work for us. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Why? Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, just track with me just a moment. Staff, I had mentioned it last week, and they pulled it together for me this week. It's a variety of suffering that's taking place, and we primarily just looked at death within our faith family, and you'd be blown away. So how much death directly or indirectly related to our faith family this year? I was beginning to feel a little morbid. I was constantly just keep pointing out areas where we need to trust God amidst the suffering. We need to trust God amidst the suffering. But you know what? Looking back at 2014 now on this side of 2014 to 2015, I know why God prepared this pastor's heart to talk and communicate so he could prepare you. I don't know how many times I've said this. You can raise your hand if you've heard me say, say this at some point last year, that God will allow us, even ordain us to go through things that if we don't know the God of the Bible, it will kick you in the soul. If you've heard me say that last year at some point, raise your hand. Yeah. You know why? I, I, I'm beginning to realize now, looking back, what a year of suffering for this faith family. That's just death. We could talk about a whole, we could talk about sin sickness. We could talk about people leaving. We could talk about a variety of other things. It's, it's painful. It's painful. And you know what? If we don't realize that God has learned obedience through what he suffered, and yet without sin, then we will never come to him to trust him when we are sinning. Or when we are weak, when we are being tempted. And yet it says that he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Not because he sinned, but because he took on our sin. Not like he's the high priest, the human high priest who had to make payment for his own sin first. No, no, he's without sin, but he learned obedience through suffering. Why? So that he could sympathize with us. 
He could empathize with us when we hurt. And so I don't know what you may or may not be going through right now, but here's what I'm saying. That's why in, in God's sovereignty and way God ordained, that's why it was so beautiful for Courtney to be able to sing, not for a moment will he forsake you. He's constant. He's always good. He's sovereign. Now you've got to wrestle with that a little bit because if he's sovereign, Job chapter 1 and following happens, Satan's coming and is asking permission to try to sift you like wheat. And he may say, proceed. But the news is, just like he told Peter, the Bible speaks of us. He's at the right hand of the majesty on high right now with all authority and all dominion, all glory. All of his enemies are under his feet. And he says, I'm interceding for you. I've prayed for you that you would not fail. So trust him. See all that he has entrusted this morning. Trust him. How should we respond? We should trust him. Number two, we should come to him. Come to him, verse 16. Oh, this is so, would be so unusual. This would be so rare. For our 21st century minds, it seems so normative, but this is so rare. What did we talk about earlier? The high priest would only go in once a year. And when he went in, do it, get in, get it over with, get out. If that tradition is true, they might drag you out if you don't move. What if you have a bad thought? What if you somehow sin against God? What if you burn strange fire? What if something happens? You might die. It's like tied rope around their ankles so they could pull them out. Are you entering boldly to the throne room of grace? Are you entering boldly with confidence, drawing near? No, brother, you're making sure. Just like a doctor cleans his hands really thoroughly so he doesn't infect and, and end up killing somebody on the operating table. Man, he's washing his hands with the blood of that animal because why? He's about to go into the very presence of God. Get in, get it over with, get out. And yet, and yet, in this passage, with this backdrop, let us, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. What? That audience, what? And here, the same is true for your pastor. I can be one of the hardest critics of my own life. Beat myself up. And I'm, I don't want to draw near. I'm, I'm ashamed. My head's down. God, I know you don't really want to talk to me. Where did that come from? Should I be ashamed of my sin? Should I be contrite over my sin? Should I be broken over my sin? Absolutely. But when did God say he didn't want us to come into his presence? When did I begin to buy that lie? Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Double imagery here. Number one, the very mercy seat of where God's presence dwelt. As the... The, the mediator over the holiness of God. Remember, he's the priest and king. And so the Melchizedek, king of righteousness, so he had to, to be righteous, had to be a, a priest to, inter, to, to mediate that covenant. But then there's also the kingliness of that aspect of it. And so the king there, remember, going all the way back to where you have earthly kings, and there was a protocol. Go back to the book of Esther, give you a good example of that. Esther could not come, even as one who's married to the king cannot come unless the king beckoned her to come, summoned her to come. So get both imagery here. The king has given us a, a, a standing invitation to come. You will never be slayed because of what my son has done. So come boldly, come with confidence in the throne room of grace. Because why? Once and for all, all of your sins will be dealt with. And you have a high priest who can sympathize with your weakness because in all ways he's been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Glory in the fact that Jesus Christ is preeminent. Come to him. Trust him. Is what this passage is screaming to a Jewish audience and screaming to a religious audience like myself who needs to be reminded that Jesus is gracious. He wants me to come with scuffed up knees and dirty hands. And then lastly, as you trust him and in trusting him, you come to him and in coming to him, you receive from him. Oh, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. <laughs> we can't offer him nothing. That's horrible grammar, but it is great theology. For all my teachers who I know, and we were praying for you and are praying for you, we cannot offer him anything. He doesn't live in an earthly temple made with hands. He's self-sufficient. 
He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. So why would we come? Why would we come? Why would we come? Why would we come? Track with me. He receives great glory by us needing him. And we receive great good by us needing him. Oh, it's beautiful. So in a sense, in a sense, don't take it farther than what I'm saying, but in a sense, God gets great glory by serving us. Don't take that man-centered. He's not a cosmic bubblegum machine. You put in your dollar, your quarter prayer and you twist it and all it comes to whatever you ask for. Let's, let's go back to Bible. Psalm chapter 50, verse 15. Cry out to me in your distress, and I will answer you, and you shall give me glory. In that sense, he gets great glory by meeting our needs so that he gets great glory by people observing God meeting our needs. Thus, showing and demonstrating this lost world that he is active and alive and moving in and through us. And so receive from him. What do we receive? Look at the text. Let it just speak to us. It's so beautiful. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? 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 Purposeful clause. So that we may receive mercy. That's, that's what we need this morning. If you're here and you're wanting God to be just, please don't pray that. He is just. You don't need him pouring that out on you or anyone else for that matter. You and I, we and others need mercy. The law was without mercy. You break it, you pay the consequences. But Jesus, full of grace and truth, can say to the woman called in adultery, yeah, you should die. And I can pick up a rock and, and hurl it at you and destroy you. Not just here with this physical, but eternal. But because he knew he was going to the cross, he had to fulfill the law. And yet at the same time demonstrate grace. And so he was beautiful in his description. And he says, so yeah, let's do this thing. Let's stone her. Paraphrase, it's not in the Bible. But you, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Able to uphold truth, and yet at the same time able to give grace. Men and women, we should come to him to receive, first and foremost, mercy. Second, what should we receive? We should receive mercy and then and find grace. That's what we need this morning. Mercy and grace. Why? To help in time of need. Whether it's a struggle with sin, whether it's a struggle with disobedience, whether it's a, a walking through sin that's been sinned against you. You need to forgive. Whether it's your sin that you've, you've sinned against someone else and you need to be forgiven, you need to ask for forgiveness, you need humility. Whatever it is, men and women, may we receive from him mercy, receive mercy and find grace to help. Why? When? In our very time of need. And so for any of us here this morning who is walking through a difficulty, is walking through a time of need, may I encourage you, trust him. Why? Because he's our great high priest. The greatest of high priests. He's the son of God. Jesus. The one who saves sins. The one who welcomes sinners. Has made complete payment for sin. And how he bids us, not like the Holy of Holies, not like the kings of old. He stand in invitation to ask us to draw near to him. To find mercy and grace. Is that you this morning? Maybe unto salvation you've never been saved. And today, for whatever reason being, God, through his word, by the power of his Spirit, opened your eyes to see the beauty of Christ. I would ask you to turn from your sins and place your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. Once and for all, your past, present, and future sins, he's made payment for. And it'll swell up in you with love and an affection and a desire and appreciation to know God. And how do we begin to know God? Through his word. You'll, you'll, you'll want to know him more. It'll be a natural byproduct. If that's you this morning, I ask you, even there right in your seats, right now as I'm talking, you just begin to cry out to God. He knows your heart. No magical prayer. Just begin to cry out to God and ask him to speak to you. Change you. Transform you. Open your eyes. Change your heart. Take out the heart stone. Put in a heart of flesh that would, and the spirit of God that would, calls you to walk in his statutes and his commandments. He will do it. And for the rest of us in this room, I know there's hurting. I've experienced some hurt this year myself. Not like many of you that walk through some things with you and you hurt, deep hurt. You, you will never get over it. It's like an amputee. That portion of you is gone and it's healed. But you'll never be the same. And the pastor, is that, you're telling me there's no hope? No, I'm not saying that. 
but the reality of knowing that God will be sufficient. God will minister. He will grant you mercy and grace in your time of need. When those waves of sorrow and those waves of difficulty, those waves of doubt creep in, begin to overcome you, you'll trust him. And I implore you, for all of us, whatever it is you're going through, trust him, come to him, receive from him. Let's stand for prayer. Father, the invitation has been given. The prayer now is simply by the power of your Holy Spirit working in tandem with the Word of God. I pray that even at this moment children of God are being born, being born from above, born again. As your Spirit takes the Word and magnifies Jesus, Jesus can reconcile us made way to reconcile us before you that individuals this morning would be saved I pray for the remainder who are already saved that God myself first and foremost chief of sinners God change my thinking and repent may I turn from the thinking that you don't want me to come to your presence into your presence I still have the old mosaic law mindset, the holy of holies sometimes when I view you, think of you. But you've done away with that. You've fulfilled it. And you're beckoning me, beckoning me and beckoning many in this room. And our hurt in the midst of our pain that you can sympathize, to come to you, to trust you, to receive mercy and grace from you in our time of need. I pray we would do that, however that looks, whether it's here at this altar, where it's we're seated in our chairs, where we turn around and make our chair a place of alt- an altar, where we grab brothers and sisters to pray with us. However that looks, internal, external, Lord, let's pray as we sing. That we would come broken, we'd come humble, that you would radically change us, taking us from just as we are to where you want us to be, the very presence of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As these guys begin to sing. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.